What's up, people? Welcome back. Another epic conversation. Another epic conversation. I love these great conversations. I have an awesome guest for you today, Dr. Taylor Burroughs. She's she's very, very popular on Twitter, especially with this conversation. She's got people who love her. She's got people who hate her. But, you know, like I always say, you know, if nobody's hating on you, then you're not doing something right. But uh, she, you know, I've been watching her for a while now, and I think she has some interesting views uh, on relationships. Um, some I agree with, some I don't, but I think it's still very healthy in, in the way that she puts things out there. Um, and, and quite interesting. Some things I'm like, oh, wow, you actually believe that. Like, we agree on that. You know, like a lot of the stuff that we agree on, I wouldn't expect most women to agree with me on, and she does. So, you know, without further ado, we have PhD, <laughs> Dr. Taylor Burris. Taylor, how you feeling? I'm feeling really well, actually. I got over the bronchitis a week or two ago, and so that was not so much fun, but I feel great now. Dope, dope. All right, so I know you're a doctor and you you consult people in their relationships, and I personally, you know, I would I would look at it like um, I can handle my own relationship problems, right? So <laughs> because I'm like, yo, what the hell does a relationship consultant do, right? So can you just walk me through exactly what it is you do, how you help people, but most importantly for me, I want to understand is what type of people are coming to you. Well, yeah. Interestingly, I have probably about 80%. I did look at the stats um, recently, about 80% men. Uh, and they're not necessarily single, but probably half of them are single. Half of them are in failing or failed relationships. Mm. So I have fewer females, uh, which some people are surprised by. Mm. But I find that women have a harder time maybe working with me particularly because I am so straightforward and because of my beliefs as well. Mm -hmm. But I find that women, they don't take criticism as well as men do. And they don't uh -oh. approach self-development uh, in the same way. They have a hard, hard time with that level of challenging um, them and confrontation, like not in a conflict kind of sense, but just changing their belief system and trying things that are different. Mm. Um. Yeah, women definitely don't like criticism. <laughs> yeah. So, so you do mostly men. What are they coming to you for? What kind of problems? It's like divorce men, right? A lot of divorce men. There are men who are divorced or are in a sort of a dead bedroom marriage or with a pretty unpleasant current spouse, and they need to know how to extricate themselves from that marriage in a, in a way that they're not at risk of losing everything and start over. So I have some people that are like that or are single and want to learn how to date responsibly, I call it, or ethically. Mm -hmm. So they don't wanna go to the, the dating coaches out there or what I like to call them is more like a sex coach, the PUAs. Uh, so it, when they talk to me, they know that they're getting a pretty balanced view uh, because I am red pill aware or whatever. But I also have a very healthy understanding of male female relationships from a professional point of view because my PhD is in marriage, couples, and family therapy. So I have that background. But then I also have taken on a lot more information to integrate that into a, a more comprehensive system. Mm, mm. So 
I'm, you know, let's say I'm with my my, my wife. My wife, the bedroom is dead. I didn't try the Viagra. I tried uh, what's the other one? <laughs> Cyrus, <Yeah>. Cialis. <laughs> What do you what are you telling me to do to get or, or or what are some of the questions you might ask me? Well, you know, I'm gonna ask you what you're doing for your own physical aesthetics, right? Like how how responsible are you to your own self-excellence? Are you hitting the gym? Are you watching your weight? Is your wardrobe, you know, is it pretty pretty cool or is it like lacking there? Uh, and how do you carry yourself? You know, your attitude, your confidence your social demeanor, like if you're pretty charming and assertive when appropriate, you don't always have to be an extrovert in order to be attractive. There are a lot of introverts are attractive too, but it's being able to maneuver in a social setting that can be attractive to women because it communicates that dominance and that confidence to her. And even if you're already married to her, if you're in a, a sort of that situation where you have the dead bedroom, you have to look at those basics of what you've taken for granted, what you've let sort of go. And for women, it's, it can be easy to say, okay, well, she's let herself go. She's not putting on any makeup. You don't have to put on a lot of makeup, but just making sure you're presentable, taking care of your hair, skin, nails, your wardrobe, your fitness, all of that stuff. Uh, but men need to do that too. And a lot of modern men have gotten into the habit of the dad bod being uh, acceptable right what's your body like under there you got to you don't have a dad bod no nah, i don't got a dad bod i'm sexy baby mm -hmm. i'm sexy <laughs> i definitely don't have a dad bod no, no. i got a flat stomach uh you know i'm one of those people that could do pull-ups <laughs> you know i've been an athlete my whole life so um, you know, okay. I'm definitely not slacking in that department. Yes, you know, I know uh, that was hypothetical. You don't have a dead bedroom, I'm pretty sure. Oh, no, definitely. My bedroom was alive and well. <laughs> so let me ask you, right? Are most of your clients coming to you with a dad bot? I don't ask them to show me their physical, you know, fitness specifically, yeah. but I, I do ask them if they are hitting the gym, if they are watching all of those factors I talked about. And most of them are, most of them are already um, active on Twitter and consuming other information, which is great. They actually seek me out because they know what I have to say and they respect my viewpoints. So it's not like I have to break through any kind of, you know, blue pill uh, or, Sort of a person who's in denial about their masculinity. So it's someone who's already coming to the table, having made a certain effort, but maybe feels stuck in the relationship aspect because they're trying the same things over and over again and they're not making any headway with their current relationship or they're just not meeting the right people. So I really deconstruct their system and mm -hmm. teach them how to sort of turn it inside out and focus more on them, which is kind of where the my red pill awareness came from and how I integrated that with my more formal and traditional background. Uh, so look, looking at <clears throat> how they lead themselves and how they make themselves their mission rather than you know trying to impress a woman or trying to sort of come up with an idea of this ideal type of woman that they're looking for out there. Yeah, so just analyzing how you're speaking about these people, you know, what, I'm getting an idea of this demographic, right? Of what you're dealing with. And it sounds like to me, you're dealing with the soy boy, right? You're dealing with the man who has lost his masculinity or never had it, 
and therefore his woman's not getting turned on. Is that the demographic we're dealing with here? I wouldn't call them that. No, I, I would. You're say, being nice. <laughs> no, I, but I would. I would say that they are inherently masculine, but okay. they were convinced that they had to deny their masculinity. And so it's like, it's clicking back into place for them now. Mm. But now it's like, they're not sure when they're stepping on people's toes or they're going too far with it. And so I think one of the reasons why they come to me as a woman is because I'm giving them permission in a way to say, no, 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 that, that's good. And women want that. Because when they hear it from a, a, a male consultant or coach, I think they still wonder uh, if there are women out there that uh, understand this and, uh, and are okay with this. Because there is so much risk involved these days about um, approaching women or taking risks with women, you know, that it's really put this into men's minds now that they have to be really protective of themselves. And I think it, it I don't want to give them permission as a woman, but I think that's part of the reason subconsciously that they come to me is hearing it from a woman helps them feel better, I think, on some level. Yeah, yeah. I, I would I would if I had a therapist, I'd definitely want to speak to a woman over a man. You know, I'd feel funny talking to a guy. So I think you're you're right there. Yesterday I put out this video. Well, I said something about uh I forget what it was, but they they posted a meme about men getting abused by women right oh. and i'm like can't abuse a man a woman can't abuse a man I am i wrong in saying that or well if you're talking about a boy a woman can abuse a boy <laughs> but she can't abuse a man well it wouldn't be abuse it would be assault so i would say it's harder for a woman to assault a grown man sure well i think we're talking about more emotionally right okay they're saying that women are abusing men emotionally. Well, women do. I, I, I've seen it happen. Um, w women, the way that they are um, Machiavellian, you know, it, they are much more subtle. They're indirect with their psychosis. So men who are, are, are have psychosis are a lot more forward with it and direct with it. So you kind of know what you're dealing with. But for a woman, it, it's almost like she grooms you. Like if we want to compare it to the other type of abuse, like men would groom young women in a very subtle way to get her, you know, sort of a, comfortable with him and allowing certain boundaries to be crossed. Women do the same thing in that sense with the emotional abuse because she'll get the man, she'll seduce the man in a way that he falls for her and then he wants to do anything for her. So she gets away with her outlandish demands and controlling behavior. And then he's caught in this web and he doesn't know what to do, how to get himself out of it. Uh, do you deal with some of that stuff? Yes, I have. Um, I have to say it was my least favorite type of client to work with when I did more face-to-face -face therapy in practice. Uh, those types of women are, are very scary. <laughs> they're very creepy and they're very scary. And I feel really, really bad for men who are stuck in that situation, even if, you know, it was partly their responsibility for getting caught in the web. It's, it can be very, yeah. um, just horrific the way that it destroys families. So I, it, why, it, why do you say the women, why do you say uh, the women are scary? Well, you know, they, it's hard to explain. The best way I can say is the hairs on the back of your neck stand up when you're around women like that. And you you can't really rash, you know, rationalize with them. Um, they 
they they kind of play the victim when they want to sort of get away with things, but then they'll lash out and they'll get very violent sometimes and erratic. And it it's it's almost like that stalker vibe that you get, which it happens too with men, right? If we think about men who are like, you know, serial killers or they're uh, attackers and, and they, they rape women, it almost gives you the same vibe, but that woman isn't necessarily going to be violent in the same way. She's just more controlling in her own sort of kingdom, which is her family. And she can do a lot of damage. Is there any telltale signs? Like, you know, let's say I'm just dating a new girl, right? And she's one of these scary chicks. Well, you know, are there things we can identify with her? Are there questions we can ask? How do we expose this so we don't end up married to her and divorced years later? Well, it's interesting you say that. I know Ivan Throne has a, a whole book about how to identify these types of women and how to get away from them. So he has more of a specific system of how to how to you know vet them or make sure that you're not getting into a relationship with them. But clinically speaking, you know most of the times these women would be considered borderline personality disorders, but it, it can happen with or without psychosis. And so if you're dealing with someone who's mentally ill in that way, uh, you're going to you're going to know some signs in the beginning that are red flags. You've probably heard about some of them, you know, like if, if she's been significantly uh, traumatized uh, as a child going through her adult relationships, she, she continues to put herself in situations or maybe not she's putting herself in situations, but she gets into more and more abusive situations. She's been very promiscuous. She doesn't take responsibility for her behavior. She is in very conflictual relationships all over the place, like not just in her significant intimate relationships, but maybe her family or her work relationships. She's had trouble with the law. She can't control her, her money. Like just everything is kind of chaotic. Oh, there you go. Yeah, it's trouble with the law. Yeah, so, I mean, she might get away with it, right? Because she could probably be very charming. But uh, yeah, there'll be infractions here and there. Damn, we gotta do background checks on these chicks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, if you have if you have a cause to believe there may be uh, something in in her sort of past, or or you know, if her behavior is is really screaming at you that she's problematic, I wouldn't even bother trying to date her. Oh my God, that sounds like a nightmare. So I, I just want to do some backing up really fast here. You're Dr. Taylor Burroughs. You know, what makes somebody say, yo, I want to be, you know, a coach? Because I remember one time um, there was this couple, young couple, and I saw them dating for like maybe a couple of months. And then they decided, she decided to move halfway across the country to go be with this dude. And I'm like, yo, y'all dated only a few months and now you're about to move in with this guy. Like, I'm like, nah, y'all shouldn't probably do this. But if, since you guys already making this move, let me be like, you know, an intermediary and like mitigate some of this stuff. Mm -hmm. I will never ever do that shit again. <laughs> it was a huge nightmare. I was up till, they were calling me two o'clock in the morning. It got violent. She was whooping his ass. Oh no. Yeah, it was crazy. So. You know, why did you decide to get into this? Were you like somebody that always, uh, you know, your friends went to to get hooked up with somebody else or ask relationship advice and then you went to school for it? Did you just go to school for this from the beginning? What happened? Well, I went to school for counseling. And so I 
specialized more after my master's in marriage couples and family therapy. And I also did, you know, mental health counseling in general. So I was a general practitioner and also then specialized in, in relationships. And I, I really liked focusing on relationships um, because I was actually a trauma specialist. So I worked with children and uh, adult women mostly, but also men who were victims of sexual trauma as children or also as adults, if they were raped or sexually assaulted. And I also worked with sex offenders, um, not a lot, but I did go through some training reluctantly, but it ended up being a good experience. And it gave me some insight into sex offenders as well. But basically just the impact of any of these events, not only being in one person, but also in the relationships that they have. Mm -hmm. So whether it's, you know, the way that they interact with people in their family or in their significant relationships, uh, it's it has like the systemic effect. It's not just compartmentalized in one person who's assaulted or attacked. It just has... Um, uh, that's that. That was my focus for a very long time, and I tried to to then sort of flip it and become more focused on the solutions and how to prevent them. And so that's how I ended up now trying to work with how to heal yourself and be really healthy and uh, become like the best version of yourself, and and then working on developing and finding those really healthy relationships going forward so that you can prevent any type of disasters and dating the wrong people or marrying the wrong people. Yeah. You, you mentioned sex offenders. That's, you know, I'm sure everybody's is in the chat perked up minded. What, what did, what did you take away from that experience of working with, you know, some people would say they don't deserve to live. Right. So, so what was your takeaway from that experience? Yeah. And it, 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 I very much reluctantly went into this two week long, you know, training for treating sex offenders but the the instructor was really really good he was a, a canadian guy and um it was almost his whole family did this work in the prison system in in kingston in ontario i think it is in canada but what i learned and took away from it almost immediately which was surprising to me that the treatment for sex offenders is really parallel to the treatment for victims and I thought most people would have thought that the first thing that you would need to do with offenders is get them to admit their fault, right? To say, mm -hmm. I did this, I'm sorry, and, and you know, be remorseful about it. And that actually wasn't the focus of the treatment, which at first you're taken aback. You're like, of course they need to admit their fault in this. It was a, a horrible thing that they did. And he explained that the reason why that didn't work is because their thought process of what they understood relationships to be like was so distorted that to just tell them what they did was wrong didn't compute to them. So it's just like talking on deaf ears. So what we had to do was deconstruct their understanding of relationships and then rebuild them in healthy ways. And it's funny because that sounds very similar to what I'm doing now in a lot of ways, uh, but not with sex offenders, obviously, just with people who have unhealthy habits or patterns in their relationships. What are some of those unhealthy patterns? Well, in this case with the sex offenders, it was just how you treat women uh, and their positioning being more objectifying, right? So they would, they would treat women and children as objects and animals. 
and they didn't have any type of loving, caring, unconditional love from their mother and they were mistreated. So they basically just perpetuated that cycle and didn't know it's also about sexuality too. So their sexuality was distorted and it was important for them to understand that intimacy is not just about sex and that sex is not just about pleasure. You know, it's not just like you're sneezing or you're scratching an itch. There's more to it than the physical element. And there's, there's, uh, you know, if you just go around having sex every time you're, you're horny, um, you, you can do a lot of damage to yourself and to just humanity in general. We can't, you know, function that way. And so if you act like that, like an animal with no conscience, um, you're going to separate sex from intimacy. And so that's going to affect the way that you look at women. Like literally when you look at a woman who you're attracted to, you're going to see a target. Mm, mm. So, 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 so in relationships, what are some of those things that you're in regards to like non-sex offenders? Do you mean? No, I'm talking about like male, female, right? Mm -hmm. You said, you, said uh, you are deconstructing things and so on and so forth. Right. Right. Yeah. So now it's like all these unhealthy myths or, or just patterns that people have perpetuated um, feeling like the one that I do right off the bat with people, I had a few calls today, for instance, is, you know, they'll, they'll say, I've been attracting unhealthy people. You know, I've been attracting unhealthy women. And I just keep getting these, these toxic women who, you know, they do a number on me, they break my heart, they take my money, they convince me of this, they, you know, all these things happen time and time again. I'm just not picking the right women. So then they'll come up with some idea of, a type of woman that they should be looking for. And so you'll make a list and women do this too, right? Women will make the list, the laundry list of things that they want to demand of a man. And so both genders do this and it's unhealthy because basically it has nothing to do with who you are as a person or what's going to work with you. It's just some fantasy idea. It's arbitrary most of the time. And when you actually, find it because you will, if you're actually putting that out there, you're attracting this person to you, you're looking for this person, and then you're gonna intentionally attach to them and they're the wrong person for you. And so you find out in hindsight that, oh, that was just a total disaster and didn't work with me at all because you can put a healthy person with an unhealthy person and it's a toxic situation. It doesn't mean that you're unhealthy because you're in a toxic relationship the relationship brings uh, like brings up a life of its own. So you need to get out of the unhealthy situation, heal yourself, learn from what you experienced, and then start to practice the healthy behaviors and only accept healthy people into your world. Mm, mm, mm. So uh, starting with yourself, know what you want and what you like is really the list what we're trying to create, right? Yeah, well, it's your standards, right? Like you have to decide what's important to you, uh, what's your your preferences, your morals, uh, your expectations. And All right, so we're gonna do me. We're gonna do me. Okay. You tell me if I'm picking healthy stuff, right? Okay. Got to be able to cook. <laughs> right. That sounds familiar. <laughs> I, I Got saw this list. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> be able to cook. Got to be got to be like a clean person who just like a neat freak. You know what I'm saying? Vacuuming. Um, gotta have a nice body, right? Body gotta be banging. No guts, no bellies. You know what I'm saying? Um, 
And that's pretty much it. <laughs> okay, so good so with kids. Do, good with kids. Do you are you a tidy person? Or are you uh, someone? No. Who, no, you're not no. at all. No, it depends. Uh, you know, I uh, am I tidy in the kitchen? Yeah, right. Like I don't like a messy kitchen. But like next to my bed is just a pile of books, right? But it's just a pile of books. So it's like it's a mess, but it's an organized mess. Okay. I mean, you can you can pay someone to do it too. I mean, as long as you're you're living in a nice place that's not a pigsty, then that's the standard that you're living by. Oh, I'm not worried about her cleaning up my mess. I'm worried about her cleaning up her own mess. Sure. Well, there you go. So if you live in a clean sanitary environment, then that makes sense that you're expecting that of the person that you would ultimately be living with, all things going well. Doing my laundry would be a plus. Right, well, th those those things are important too. It, it, you find your roles that are complimentary, right? Like if yeah. you want you know, I was thinking about this the other day, not to sidetrack too much, but one not of the things that I think are beneficial about women playing those traditional gender stereotypical uh, roles is that, for instance, if, if I use myself as an example, I'm a pretty headstrong woman, you know, comparatively to others, I guess, uh, and I'm very smart or whatever. But I work towards bringing out my more feminine, sensitive, um, submissive side over the years. And so it's working great for me now that I can find a, a healthy balance in my relationship. But one of the things that doing that does is it keeps me in check in a little way, right? Like it's, I'm serving my my boyfriend, my partner, uh, by playing those roles and it helps me regulate my masculine energy. Interesting, interesting. Does that make sense? I don't know if it was just, it made sense in my head, but. <laughs> so, so at some point, I guess you weren't as submissive and then no. something clicked. What clicked? What made you say, you know what? I need to be more submissive. Well, I took a, a long, hard look at my life you know, I've definitely, obviously I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not that young and I'm not married right now. I have been married, I've been divorced. <clears throat> and so I had to look at my failed relationships too. And I had to look at myself as a marriage therapist and say, what the heck happened? Like, how did I mess up? How did I get to this stage of life and, and not be married, not have children? not really know what I wanted or if I did want children. And, and so I took a, a, a several years of regrouping and I put it all together. And you know, learning about the red pill was that missing piece for me. And that's why I broke off from my profession as well, why I started working independently because I just, I realized that it had a lot of holes in it and I didn't believe in you know, what, it, what it would, enforce for me to, to work on with people because it stood against a lot of these things that I do think work for relationships. Uh, all right. So let me ask you this pop quiz, right? Mm -hmm. What is the one thing that a woman must do to keep any man satisfied? And I don't mean in the bedroom, obviously, but what is, what is that one trait, that one thing that a woman must do that works with nearly any single man? Well, for me, I would answer that as respect and affection. Like a woman who just inherently respects that man and is committed to him, she's loyal, and she, no matter what happens, because there, it, it, you're supposed to have some conflict you know, in your relationship and some tension. You can't agree on everything, otherwise it's gonna be boring and dull. Yep. So 
it's okay if you have a little pushback with each other, but as long as you always default to that, that unconditional respect and commitment, that loyalty, it's like, we're in this together and I love you and I'm gonna always want to touch you and hold you and kiss you and give you that sort of adoration because you are, you know, it's almost like you're the most important person in the world to me. So I have yeah. to show that to you and make sure that you know how, how important you are to me. All right, check it out. I'm gonna give you a second try, right? <laughs> this yeah. is my world though, so don't think like, you know what I mean? In my world. So what I would say is, I tell people, don't confuse affection for love, right? Because a lot of times somebody could be giving you a lot of affection, but that don't mean they love you. Sometimes it's just because they lack something within themselves, right? And then respect, like you're not gonna be around me unless you respect me anyway. So that needs to just come with the cow, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? What else? Woman must do beyond a shadow of a doubt to make sure that her man is glued to her and nobody else and knows that her man uh her man knows that he loves that she loves him is there what anything else do to love her man well I, I like i said like i think it's just she he's the center of her world right so through her actions on a daily basis you know it's just Everything is about how it, his life is gonna be better. She has to elevate his existence. And if it's her trying to you know, satisfy herself and put herself first, then it's never gonna work. Um, so, I mean, right. that can happen in different ways for different couples, but I think it's really important for it to be demonstrated. So it can't just be empty words, definitely not. Right, so I would say, the most important thing that a woman can do to keep her man is take an interest in his interests. Okay. Right? For example, if he, you know, is an author, you know what I mean? Read his books, you know what I'm saying? Take an interest in what it is he actually brings into the world. Because this is running joke in the black community. Like, you know, you, you, you dating a rapper, right? But his mixtape sucks, right? So, but you still want to be that supportive girlfriend, you know what I mean? Um, so are you gonna play that mixtape for your, you know, for, for yourself and know the words to his lyrics, even though they suck sometimes, or just you know, be more supportive? Do you think that's important? Because I think that's important oh, to me. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. <clears throat> well, uh, just on a personal note, <clears throat> excuse me, still that bronchitis <laughs> creeping out. Um, I did that, I did that with Dennis. I remember uh, specifically when I bought his book, he would just lit up. He was so excited. Cause I didn't tell him, I didn't tell him I bought his book and I was, you know, one of the first people that bought it, bought it. And he was like, Oh my God, you bought my book. I'm like, of course I bought your book. And uh, you know, it's, uh, he makes fun of me. Like when I, when I copy him, you know, I'll do something and he'll be like, you're just copying me. I'm like, well, yeah, you know, I kind of want to want to match you and coordinate with you. And I think women, who are more feminine and submissive. They tend to do that when, when they really love and care for a man that they will, they will sort of follow his lead. Yeah, I think that's so important. I feel like with women, you should never date a man who got his favorite sports team in his bio and his life is about what other men have created. You should always date a man who is creating his own future. And and knowing that the future that he's creating, he's in love with and then supporting him in that love of the creation of his future. You know what I mean? If he's an accountant, 
Like he's not really creating a future, really, right? There's something else he's probably interested in life. And if he's not, you gotta make him, you know, like like what else are you into? Like, do you don't play chess, you don't do nothing, you know what I mean? And and joining him in that world. But men create things, you know, it might be, you know, with their hands like a chair or something like that, appreciating that type of work. But you keep saying this word submissive, right? And I know that's triggering a lot of women these days, that word submissive. Oh, yeah. What, what do you say to those women that, that say, I'm not submitting to no man. I could do bad by myself and all of that stuff. I'm a strong black woman. <laughs> yeah, I know. The word is very triggering. I try not to use it that much. But it to me, it's a being of service. And when you're with someone in a, in, a, in a relationship, you're being of service to them. You're being of service to your family. And if you're not willing to put yourself aside to be of service to the people that you love, you don't really love them. You love yourself more. And so that's the ultimate point, you know, being able to do something when you don't feel like it because you're communicating your love to someone. Right. And you can call that submissive or, or not. Uh, I don't know that it's it, it always sends the right message because men do communicate their love to their women as well, even when they don't feel like it. It's part of their duty. But I wouldn't call it submissive. You know, I would call it just the way that they communicate their love or affection. Right. They take care. They provide. They protect. That's part of their duty. So it's just different for men and women. So how do you make a woman happy? Right. Because with me, you know, I feel like make a woman happy. You just buy her some shit. And, you know, that's just it. You know what I mean? And and give her a little back rub. And, you know, when she's crying or feeling, you know, some type way, a little back rub goes a long way. What else does a man do for a woman? You guys seem like babies to me. Right. I look at women like grown babies. You know, you give them food and you let them sleep and you give them affection and the job's done. <laughs> There's some truth to that. We do act a little bit like erratic children emotionally sometimes. That's why I always, when I work with women, one of the major you know themes that we work on is how to control your emotions. You have to learn how to stay calm, how to stay pleasant, how to focus on the solutions and get past things. Women that hold on to grudges or conflict, they're unhealthy women and it's, it's too common. So in order to be in a healthy relationship, the woman should be, you know, pretty much well balanced in her mentality and her emotionality as well. So if we're talking about healthy women, because <laughs> I don't okay. want to, I hate using an unhealthy woman as an example, but right. if you want to make a, a healthy woman happy, include her in things, right? Like she really wants to be a part of, of your life. She wants to feel like she she's your chosen one. And you don't really have to do much other than that, as long as you're consistent with that. And she can kind of say, she doesn't have to go into her anxious mind to question everything that you do. When you show up, you say what you're going to, you do what you say you're, you're going to do. You're consistent, you're congruent. She doesn't have to question your motives. Like you're just sort of you're, you're straightforward with it and you're including her in your life in important events. I think that's the, the best way. You can be dirty, you know, like leaving clothes on the floor. You can not say hardly anything. You can kind of be in your zone and just give her hugs and kisses and sex from time to time and she'll still be okay. <laughs> but you know, hopefully you will do more than that. But I mean, you can really give her the minimum as long as you've got her by your side at the important things and you're consistent. That's so true, right? Like, 
Again, women are like that kid. What about me? Can I come? Can I come too? You never bring me with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that. It, yeah, I don't want to go too far into women are like children, but you know, I, I agree with you there. Yeah, now nah, you hit that on the head. You know, women do love to be included in things. That's something I uh, I hadn't thought about, but makes sense. Wow. Okay. Very interesting. And the flip side of that is if you're not including her, you have to wonder, why am I not including her? What what am I not really clicking, you know, in, in my awareness about? And maybe she's not the right one that I don't really want to bring her in. Yeah. Yeah. You might not want to include her because she's got a gut, right? She got this big old belly. And you're like, yo, you can't come out with me looking like that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, you don't have a gut, so then that makes sense. You want someone who's as fit and healthy as you are. Right, right. You know, it could be uh, you're overprotective, right? Like I always say, never put nothing on the internet you love. Right? Yeah, I can understand that, that to some extent. I think that's that's true. As yeah, long as you sure. reference her, right? You don't always have to visual like show her but i think it's important to reference her so people know you're taken you're off the market you're happy she's good that's all women care about man they just they, like they just want to know you off the market you know like i got him he's mine now you know it's <laughs> well, so, it seems so selfish to me women just seem i i really i really have a side of me that just looks at women as like these selfish beings right yeah, when they're unhealthy, it goes way too far on that side of things. Now, this is where I try to educate people about women and, and healthy women versus unhealthy women, because women are very, very insecure. And when you do not articulate or specify, you know, where the relationship's at or what she means to you, her little monkey brain is going nuts. And you do not want to push a woman down that road too far. So it's really important that when you're trying to, you know, keep her guessing because you, you don't want her to feel too comfortable, then if she's someone who gets comfortable and then neglects you, that's not probably a good, good choice. You want someone who's always going to be attending to you, even if she knows you're loyal and you're married or whatever. So you should be able to just keep it interesting, introduce a little bit of that tension into the relationship, but still, you know, you don't want to force her to be insecure and anxious because then it can unravel and, and blow up in your face. Yeah, women are so insecure. I never understood that. It's, you know, like, like, what, like, I feel like a lot of that stuff is Western Civ, you know what I mean? Like Western civilization just, you know, every single commercial just compares a woman to another woman and, you know, media expectations and, you know, Instagram thought expectations, you know. Yeah, there's that type of insecurity, but it goes deeper than that. Okay. A lot of it is about having poor relationships with their father. Mm. A, a, a young girl who has a healthy, appropriate, uh, properly, securely attached bond with her father throughout her upbringing is less likely to have that issue. Right. Because he would have been able to calm her when she was upset, um, reassure her when she was, you know, anxious or afraid. And that sort of level of, of anxiety wouldn't have gotten internalized so deeply into her. And so a lot of women are looking for that from their partners. And that's mm. where it gets problematic, because then it puts extra pressure on you as the male to then parent her, basically. 
Mm-hmm. Now, I want you to deconstruct my construction of this idea that uh, this is a man's world, right? So a lot of people say this is a man's world, and I go, no, the fuck it's not. It's a woman's world. Um, and a lot of people, uh, especially men, obviously, would disagree with me. And I'm like, well, look at child support court, look at divorce court, uh, you know, look at courting period right like the onus is on us we're expected to approach from we're supposed to spend our money we're supposed to take care of this woman right it's like it's like she's definitely the queen bee and we're the workers out here working to create this world for women right um am i am i am i right in that construction or because you know i i feel like uh i feel like uh women are the architects and women are the, and men are the builders of the world Women create this vision and men are able to make it happen. That's I don't disagree with you. There's a lot of validity to that. That absolutely exists. But it doesn't mean that that a woman who carries the burden of a, a lot of obligations and families hasn't historically been true either. It's just that those women, and I'm not saying that's the majority of women, but those women exist and those women are very quiet they're so submissive, they don't say anything. They just continue to bear the burden of doing everything. So that's why we don't really hear about it so much. But I, you know, whenever I say this, it's always, you know, you're not, def don't defend women because yeah, women have all these, um, you know, rights and, and they um, put men through all of this in, in the courts and yes, I agree with, with that as well. And I think that's one of the reasons that people um, are attracted to my content is because I, I see things from both sides because I'm not talking about the worst of men or the worst of women. I always try to you know, default onto what is the best type of man and the best type of woman that we can be and making sure that we're emulating the right thing and highlighting the thing that's more optimistic, not to, to deny that the bad thing doesn't exist, but we have to sort of see the bigger picture and see how we can create a solution together so that nobody is left holding the bag. Nobody's hurting anybody. Nobody's abusing or taking advantage of the other. To me, that's my focus. Yeah. Uh, super chat from Castle Arbor 499. Merry Christmas to the whole Tep Nation. Appreciate you, homie. Anybody else wants to hop in here, ask questions, make comments, you know what to do. Hit the super chat button. Um, Yes, all right, so let's let's backpedal a little bit here. Um as far as the uh um um damn I lost my train of thought. Um uh, what, what were we talking about again? Uh we're talking about it's a man's world or is it a right, woman's world? Right, right, right. Is it a man's or a woman's world? Right. So um men men are very much uh you know uh builders right like we 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 create things we we force things into the world women i feel like are the ones that are going to pick out the drapes in the house but like we got to put them up and all of that stuff right um and then all right so boom so we're talking about like divorce court we're talking about child support court you know i really don't put that on women too much you know i really put that on men i feel like you know um she finessed you and you didn't have the uh, ability to finesse back you know so you know, your baby moms take you to child support, child support court, finesse you to, to get the baby, finesse you in the court. But you couldn't finesse her 
to take you off child support, right? Because <laughs> you can get off child support. Uh, you didn't finesse it in divorce court, right? I feel like men, uh, I feel like all men need to take a sales course, but. <laughs> That's probably so, true. Yeah, like, like you know, I just feel like I put that on men. Like, you know, like you shouldn't have, you shouldn't have stuck your dick in crazy, you know? <laughs> Um, you know, that's why I think, uh, it's healthy. I think, I think women put like this unhealthy thing in boys' minds, like, Oh, you're going to get all the girls and, you know, date as many girls as you want. And I mean, when I, you know, my boys get older, that's not what I'm be telling. I'm like, yo, leave these bitches alone. None of them are good for you. You know what I mean? So, so can you walk me through what that's like? Is that, is that unhealthy when women tell girls like, Hey, you know, um, you shouldn't date a lot, but then they tell boys you should date a lot. Right. And then what are the effects of that? Yeah, promiscuity is is something that I've talked about in the past a lot. Um, men have a little bit more leeway with it, right? Like it doesn't have the same level of impact damage-wise on their psyche um, in the short term. Now in the long term, you know, if they perpetuate that behavior, it's it's definitely going to keep them from making intimate pair bonds with, with in a relationship. Um, so it ends up being the same, but you know, if you're going to be encouraging boys or, you know, teenage boys or, or girls to go out there and date a lot, uh, we're focusing on the wrong things. Uh, and again, like you're, you're just setting up half matured people to go make a whole bunch of mistakes. So yeah, you're going to end up with unplanned pregnancies and, you know, marriages that fail badly and all of the above. So I think that you know, we've lost track of how to instill not only the values, but teaching how to find a proper partner because parents and families used to have a lot more involvement in that process. Um, but now it's just frivolous. It's all about want and desire and fun and, you know, and the, the impulse of it, the romance of it, and not really the stick to uh, of what a relationship requires in the long haul. So it's just who's right for now in my life. And then, oh, I'll figure it out later if it doesn't work out. So yeah. I think that's where it goes wrong. Yeah. So first, let's talk about the whole phase. How do you feel about that? When you say, oh, every girl needs to have a whole phase and, you know, whatever, whatever. What, how do you feel about the whole phase? I definitely think that that's a, a really bad idea. And I, and I hope that we're doing work to inter interrupt that uh, message to young girls. Uh, I think that, you know, the pressure has been there. Absolutely. Uh, I know that it, it was very common to feel that we were given the message that not having sex meant we were repressed, right? Mm -hmm. And that it was important for us to feel confident and comfortable in our sexuality and to, to, to not be ashamed of it. And that if you were then you were repressed and, and somebody was sheltering you or, or whatever. And so they inverted it. And I don't know, you know, I guess it was the sexual revolution, obviously, but I think that message has been interrupted. It's starting to uh, reverse itself. I mean, I know, unfortunately, now the pendulum has swung to the point where people are not having sex, the young boys, at least. Uh, well, not, I don't say young boys, but you know what I mean, younger men. And, um, and, I, and I think, there are some women who have become, I don't know if celibate is, is the right word, but I think that that option is far better than to go out there and be promiscuous. 
So I, I don't see anything wrong with waiting until you get married, but I also don't see anything wrong with being very, very selective with who you have sexual, it doesn't have to be sex, it can be any kind of sexual interaction with, um, but just making sure that you vet someone as best as you can and that you commit to them and you're serious about it and you're not having multiple sexual partners. To me, that's, that's the worst advice is to encourage women to have options and to ha hedge their bets and, you know, play hard to get and all of that. Like that's just making them like, like men uh, who are acting like that. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so what about for men? Right. So, uh, you know, right now a hot topic is body count, right? Like how many bodies does she have? How many men has she slept with? Right. So what do you tell a man? Do you tell a man that, he should ignore that his wife used to be, you know, the chick that fucked the whole football team or like, <laughs> like, or should he really consider that and say, you know what? Yeah, you are a hoe. I probably shouldn't. Or can women, you know, erase their wholeness? Well, I think that they should know this way before the stage of getting married. So if you feel like the partner, the, the person that you're dating, who you really are interested in, has questionable morals or questionable history or behavior, then you need to get to the bottom of that and figure out how you feel about that. What does that say about their character? Um, if they have experienced some type of different uh, behavior in the past and they're different now, like they're changed, they're you know more selective, they haven't dated much lately, then I think that it's you can consider it, but you you, you need to make sure that it's a comprehensive, and consistent change. It's not just something that's like, you know, a temporary improvement for face value, right? Like I know a lot of people who just sort of, it's like almost like a detox, like you'll just, you know, clean, be good for a little while and then project that image. And then, you know, you really haven't changed underneath. And so it all comes, starts to unravel later on down the road. And that's not, that's not gonna be any good. So you need to make sure that you wait Patience is so important in the dating process. You have to give it time. When you rush into things, you miss all those signs and you don't see the whole behavior, right? Like, so you need to give it a good, a good period of time before you commit to somebody even. Can you turn a hoe into a housewife? Is it possible to take a woman who's had a promiscuous past and, and, and she becomes, you know, a born again virgin or something like that? Well, I mean, I wouldn't Do say women change like that. Do women actually change like that? Or are you a hoe forever? If a woman has had like, I don't know what, what is a, a, a number that I, I remember I did a tweet about how many partners a woman has had. And I got into a big debate with people saying like defending women saying women don't have that many partners. I'm like, well, you're pretty naive because there are a lot of women who have had high numbers for their body counts. And for those women, they normalize it. So that's usually the issue is if a woman has had, let's say over 25 partners, that was like the highest bracket that I put in my, in my poll. Does she say that's fine? There's nothing wrong with that. Does she not take responsibility for her choices? Uh, does she continue to date indiscriminately? Or, you know, is she just busy? Like, what is the, what is, what are the reasons um, that she does that anymore, any less frequently? Uh, and how does she feel about what she experienced in the past? That's where I would go with it because a lot of women, a lot of men, but people have had traumatic or 
uh, not so <laughs> impressive background experiences. But if they aren't able to say, you know, I made this mistake, I did this wrong, I learned from it, and I can show you what I learned because this is how I'm living my life now, then, then it's a bad investment. You should not be choosing to be with someone who does not look at it honestly and take responsibility. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm. I don't know. I don't know. I, uh, so, all right, so let's move on to men, right? So okay. uh, it's, it's the opposite for men, right? So for men, I guess uh, women, it feels for me like the more women you've had, the more women are attracted to you, right? Like that's a, it's a good thing for men, whereas for women, it's bad. What do you, how do you see that dynamic? I think it's a projection a lot of the times. Women don't really know how many other women a man has slept with. Uh, and some women, they drive themselves crazy trying to figure it out, just maybe the same way men do sometimes. But it's better not to know. I, as, you know, If a woman doesn't know and she's always guessing, maybe he didn't sleep with that many women, but he projects himself to be confident, to be experienced. And that's really all that matters is what she believes him to be. It doesn't really matter how many men, I mean, how many women he slept with. Mm -hmm. You know, I believe in is uh, arranged marriages. I think that the uh, youth community can do quite well to have um, the elder class at least select a better pool, right? Like, I know I see this amongst the Indian culture and some of the Asian cultures. You know, we are basically, you know, say, look, you know, my family is cool with their family. Uh, we know what their credit score is. We know what their wealth, you know, um, status is. This young boy is about to be a pharmacist. This is who you should date, right? Do you believe in that system or? Yeah, I mean, I, I see it has worked. Um, a lot of times, you know, in the past, and, and that really reminds me of a system that's more historical than more modern, right? So that system worked because marriage was considered uh, an endeavor of, of survival and you know legacy and not so much just romantic idealization so because it's based on that a lot of the people the you know the young new generation take that on as an obligation and a duty but the problems have 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 happened now when that new generation is like I don't want an arranged marriage. They see the modern world and they see how people have freedoms and they get to choose their own mates. And so there's the internal conflict in the family and there's that breakdown of the system because now, you know, it's a global phenom phenomenon um, that, you know, you, you can sort of fall in love and pick who you want to marry. So I think the elements that worked were proper vetting of your partner. I don't think we can really go backwards, but if we're able to learn from our past see that that was valuable as a tool to figure out who you pick because it came from the logical, rational mind and deciding what was best for a person based on, you know, their personality, what they need, like all those things that make a partnership complementary. So if we use that, then we can also then encourage people to actually love each other and have desire for each other and not put two people in a situation where they're just really like roommates or companions and don't really have that spark. So mm. my system 
is based on an, an equation, or I use this equation just as a little, um, you know, soundbite, but it's logic plus desire plus love equals an ideal partnership. And the reason why it's different is because I include that logic component and I put it first to really emphasize it because almost everyone that I talk to that has, a, 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 you know, bad relationships, they're always like, but I really like them or I love them or she's so beautiful or he's just so this or that. And so they're stuck in that fantasy land and they don't realize that it doesn't matter how much you love the person if they make absolutely no sense for you. You have to make sense for the longevity of a relationship. Now, if you want a relationship that's going to be a year, then that's a whole nother thing. But if you're looking for a life partnership to marry, then you need to look for someone who makes sense. Yeah, I uh, I totally agree on that. Um, I I personally don't believe in love. Um, you know, like this uh, idea of oh, I'm in love, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like it's it's just an infatuation honeymoon phase that we all have in the beginning because we're all dealing with each other's representatives, right? Like you first start dating, it's like you're not even really you, right? Like you're like the best version of you that nobody knows about, right? It's just you and that person are presenting the best versions of yourselves. So once that starts to fall away and you start seeing who you really are, it, it falls into like your formula, right? Where now these decisions have to be made by logic because I don't love this person uh, that's in front of me now. I love the person that you used to be when we first met, right? That representative. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't believe in love. I believe that uh, what happens is uh, we meet somebody who uh, we can stand to look at, someone who we uh, can stand to have copulation with, um, and then everything outside of that is mostly a logical decision. You know, does this person make sense for me financially, uh, et cetera, et cetera, because uh, love fades, right? That love fades over time, which is like, you're not going to have those butterflies 10 years from now when you leave in a supermarket and you're cussing each other out, right? It, it's just not that. So I think at that point, um, the love is more like a, a family member mm -hmm. right? type of love and not this love that is all romantic and fantasy landish, right? Am I am I kind of headed in the right direction here or not? Yeah, they're gonna feel like family. Exactly. They become family. And and if you know there's a difference between that though and platonic love where they're a friend. Because you know the difference of when you're inviting a friend over to a family gathering. It's like then everyone is catering to them and making sure that they're, you know, they're, they're situated and they're taken care of. But if you're family, it's like, well, you know, you can go do that yourself sort of thing. Right. So there is a difference. Um, but, but you love them. They're included. They're part of the family. They're expected to be there. Uh, and you want to see them every day again, you know, like it's, it's different. They're not, you know, just sending their representative self, their, their, their natural self, but you want their, their natural self to be still trying to make an impression, right? You want to still project the, the best that you can, but when you look at the other person, yeah, it's going to fade. That, that infatuation may not be there, but if you've done the work, you should be able to keep it alive. It might not be flaring up in bright lights, but it should always be at least simmering at the surface where you can turn it on with a little bit of effort. Um, and that's, I think, what people forget is that 
you have to make effort and that's not a bad mm. thing. Uh, but if you're unwilling, if you're so selfish and, and complacent and lazy, I mean, laziness is one of the, the biggest reasons that, that relationships fail because people feel that things should come easy and anything good and worthwhile takes effort and time and commitment. And so if you're not willing to go out of your way and do something when you don't feel like it, <laughs> then it's never gonna last. And you know, not to be crude, but I think this is something that women get wrong, you know, when they're, oh, I'm tired, oh, I had a headache, oh, I just wanna go do this or that. Take that time, I say, just make it 15 minutes, it doesn't matter. Take 15 minutes and make sure that, you know, you're pleasing your man and on a regular basis, and it's gonna just, really invest in that uh, attachment in the intimacy between you and your partner. And it's so important to do that. And if you can't get over yourself to do that, then, you know, you really don't have anyone to blame but yourself sometimes. Yeah. So I feel like there's two types of people, amiable and non-amiable. I talked about this in another interview. Um, so I feel like the people that will do that, uh, like you said, you know, I'm tired, but I'm still going to get up and, you know, I don't know, make you a cup of tea. Right. Or whatever it is. Right. I feel like some people are born like that and everybody else is like, nah, I feel like doing that shit. Right. Like, I just don't care. Right. Do you find that in your work that there's that dichotomy of people who are just naturally nice? And then usually those are the people that get used and abused. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and it shouldn't have to be just a nice person who's a people pleaser. I think it's important to have that quality where, you know, you you have discipline. You were brought up that way. Like I'm Caribbean. Like I was brought up by a Jamaican father and my mother was American, but she moved to the, to the islands when she was 19 and sort of took on my father's you know culture. And, uh, you know, so we're taught, I mean, I was shining my father's shoes and doing different things when I was growing up. And now you would consider that child abuse probably, but you know, they were, I didn't get belted, but like, that's part of my culture is that you would get whooped with a belt. And in, and I went to Catholic school and so were the nuns doing that too, you know? Uh, but I'm not promoting corporal punishment, but in, in essence, it's just that duty and that discipline where it doesn't matter if you don't feel like it, you're getting off your ass and you're gonna go do something, especially if it's for your family and for a loved one. And people just aren't really raised with those types of values and standards these days, especially in Western civilization, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that, like I used to make this joke all the time, I say, yo, fellas, your soulmate is in Africa or, your soulmate is in South America or your soulmate is in the Caribbean, you know, especially for like black men. I'm like, you don't mess with these Western civ chicks because the culture has them so removed from who they are as a woman and, and their role and, you know, and, and the male role. So you see that cultural difference, right? Oh, yeah. Drastically different. But, you know, it doesn't mean that relationships are perfect in the Caribbean either. We right. have our issues too, right? Okay. I, my ex-husband was a, a Caribbean guy uh, and I'm not gonna get into that too much, but I mean, it didn't last, right? So there are things that didn't work there too, but this was not one of the issues. Um, I think a lot of times uh, you can, t you have to take the what works from something and uh, use it in your experience with something else that works. You can't always say one is better than the other, but just looking at it as a whole, putting pieces together that do work overall. Yeah, I think that you're right, right? So 
a Caribbean woman or an African woman is going to vet their male a lot better and more strict than a Western Civ woman would, you know, uh, you know, they'll, you know, especially those other uh, Caribbean coaches, they kind of look down on some of the Americans like, oh, like you guys are, you know, like <laughs> so unrefined. True. Yeah. I mean, class is really important in the Caribbean and in, in my country, the Cayman Islands, um, you know, it's a very classy society on the surface and, and, and family values are so important. So people want a lot of children. And so you're going to vet like your men for a family oriented man. Now, a lot of the men, unfortunately, have extramarital affairs, um, but they are devoted family men. They are devoted to their children. They want a lot of kids. They want a wife who's going to be available. But now it's it's becoming more modern now, too, in Cayman, where women are lawyers and partners and businesswomen. And so they're leaving the children at home or they're all in school and they're not really as able to be present um, as a mother and a wife as they used to be. So you see it affecting all over the world. And I would just came back from Southeast Asia uh, and I went to Vietnam and Thailand and Malaysia and Singapore and <laughs> Indonesia. And you know, you see that that it is becoming more westernized all over the world. And you know, we talk about going to different places to find women who are more feminine and submissive and gentle and you know all those things. And that's true that that they are more um, those things than Western women. But I wouldn't say for long. Uh, you know, it, it's it's really it's a global issue, and we need to address it that way. Yeah. So yeah, I don't agree with the whole like women going to work and all of that stuff because of the imbalance it creates. Uh, you know, every time a woman goes to work, she takes away a, a father's job. Right. That's that's how I kind of look at it. How do you view, uh, you know, gender roles when it comes to uh, professionalism? Because at the same time, it's like you still want a woman to have her life and still have her you know, follow her interest in her career. You don't want to impede that, right? So, how, how do you how do you view that? I I now I feel it's very important for a woman to be able to at least be flexible and still prioritize the man's mission. And because as a team, you're going to have the same mission ultimately, right? Like you you can't compete with your partner. So if my job is going to be my priority, then I'm married to my job. I'm not married to my husband. Um. That's deep. That's deep. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that's 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 definitely a problem. But you said something dangerous there. Right. You said we should follow what the man's doing. Right. And I agree with that. But the feminists, they'd be like, oh, my God, what is she talking about? Right. Yeah. I mean, if if you have um, a family business or if he, even if he doesn't work at home, like if he's got some kind of you know, obligation outside of the home that takes him all over whatever, you know, earning, then you need to be supportive of that. And you need to consider that your job too. So you're, you're in it with him. <laughs> you know, if you have a whole other job that's diversifying your, your resources, like you're basically, you're competing with your husband. So mm. that's, that's not good for the whole as a family. That's you, you know, not being a team player in that whole system. And so encouraging women to find things like their passion might be something totally different, but if they can't find something to do that they're passionate about that contributes to the team, then you're going to have a problem. Yeah. Damn. Ooh. 
I do see that a lot where women try to compete with men, you know, especially, you know, in relationships. Do you see that a lot? Like women trying to compete with men? Yes, a, a, a lot. <laughs> so trying to teach them not to compete. Uh, it, it, I think usually it's a way of, of trying to assert some level of power or control. Uh, a lot of women really seek their their best ways of, of getting control, but they don't realize that the best way to get control is not to control something else. It's to control yourself, right? When you can master your thoughts, your feelings, your behavior, be a better person, be kind, be gentle, be pleasant. It makes the whole world a better place. Like that's literally why women were probably put on this earth. And so if you can't get that job right, then you know, you've know you got it messed up. So if you focus on that, getting control of yourself, everything else improves. Mm, mm. Now you on Rolo, you know, Rolo, he did the cover of my book. Shout out to Rolo Tomasi. Uh, author of The Rational Male. He did the cover to my book, The Unbreakable Rules of Masculinity, which you can get on Amazon now. The link is in the description, of course. Now, you guys are disagree on some things and you've had your spats. Why do you think you guys are... are uh, I call you arch enemies. It's not that serious, but it seems like you guys are in different ends of the spectrum. What does he disagree with you on? I really don't know. I mean, I've reached out to Rolo. We've had certain conversations on the side, um, but I, I don't really know what's at the bottom of it. I don't have some major conflict with him. It's not like there's something that happened that people don't know about. Um, I can only sort of guess or estimate just from what I've observed of, of, of things as well. From my side of it, if I speak for myself, I mean, I really just disagree um, on the way that he promotes this gender war thing. I don't, it's not that I disagree that there is a lot of bad stuff happening, but I feel like a lot of how he talks about things perpetuates anger. And so mm -hmm. I try to bring that sense of um, integration into the information. But I think he takes offense to that or he feels like, uh, it's ruining his content or something. I really, I, I, I don't know uh, what the issue is, but I don't feel any bad blood towards him at all. I just wish, I mean, it's been, it seems to be good lately. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy to just give him a hat tip for all that he does and continue trying to do the best that I can do. But, you know, I think now what I've seen is the new group, um, they're kind of, uh, you know, there's a new cohesive group that's emerged. And I know that they are against purple pill life coaches or whatever. And I think when, when, I, when I was talking to you about that last week, um, after our conversation, they did a, a YouTube about how to vet your gurus. And they were talking about that. So I thought it was funny timing. Um, but I think part of that whole purple pill and red pill and, and all that sort of, you know, sort of dichotomy that's created <clears throat> is just pitting people against each other, right? And it creates more conflict than is really necessary. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm not a pacifist. I don't know what I would call myself, but I definitely am more feminine. So I'm gonna focus on trying to let everyone get along, right? Um, but I think that if you, if you talk about the purple pill, if, if you want to call me purple pill and not like fully red pill or whatever, I, yeah, I'm not fully red pill. I, I don't, I don't know what these terms are supposed to mean, but 
I mean, I think that it's important to bring the genders together to find ways for us to be happy and healthy and be in relationships. If we pitting, if we're pitting each other against each other, then we're never going to solve the problems. Right. So that's always been my focus, I guess. And maybe sometimes it looks like I'm defending someone, but I'm not. I see the bad and I see the good in in both sides. Mm, mm, okay. So this group, now you said there's like a new group emerging or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think their philosophy is as it differs to yours and the pacifists? Are they more like, oh, we're men and you know we hate women and like is it that type of thing or uh, no no i, I <clears throat> they definitely don't say that they hate women but they they emphasize unhealthy women they emphasize what's wrong about women and so i, I absolutely admit that that exists but it doesn't exist outside in isolation of men who do bad things as well so i think we all have to take responsibility for ourselves first and foremost, but in general, we have to look at the bad and the good. And so to just say everything is is because women are messed up, that doesn't make any rational sense to me at all. So I, I you know, there's certain things that I just don't, I don't agree with. <clears throat> and I think what happens is he'll come back or they'll come back with, prove it, <laughs> you know, give me your evidence or whatever. You don't have a book or, the same type of 20 years of this and that. And I'm like, but I have a PhD in relationships and I have, you know, a whole bunch of proof that I've been working in clinical practice for 14 years. Um, but I don't feel the need to defend my opinions so much. People can choose to hire me or they choose not to. I'm not even trying to fight you. Like, this is just what I think. And if you want to debate and I don't, I don't think that's a bad thing. I just want to continue living my life and practicing what I preach, being happy and healthy and enjoying my life, my relationship, and hopefully building my future the way that I hope it, it turns out. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So they emphasize, you know, when they emphasize unhealthy women, I get it, right? Because I'm like, well, what's a healthy woman look like? Like, I don't know what a healthy woman looks like, right? Because I feel like Western Civ has stolen women from men, right? Y'all are worried about everything else but the shit that matters. You know, y'all worried about Kim Kardashian, <laughs> the size of her butt, or, you know, the fact that, you know, she had black face on and, you know, oh, what do I look like? And it's just like, it was like bigger things in this world outside of a woman's body, right? And it feels like women are just so stuck on what they look like that they never even developed. Like I said on uh, Joe Rogan, I said, yo, like if you dating a woman, she ain't got a hobby, you might want to get you a new one because that's the woman that's not exploring herself, herself, you know, and makeup ain't a hobby. <laughs> Hair is not a hobby. <laughs> you know, what, what are you doing outside of that to explore your soul, to explore who you are, to, to create, you know, God is a creator. He creates. So, you know, I say, you know, God is a woman. So what are women creating these days? It doesn't seem like women create a lot. They create hell, but they don't create much. Well, I think if, if, if she doesn't have those types of superficial and unhealthy influences, it might not be bad that she's a simple woman, you know, as long as she's 
she's doing her role um, and she should be busy. I think that's important. A woman needs to stay busy and I don't yeah. no good. So she needs to be taking care of the home. She needs to be taking care of herself. She needs to be taking care of her loved ones, children, her parents, grandparents, whatever. Like if it's just that type of lifestyle where she's very domestic and family oriented and she knits or whatever, then then that's fine. You know, there's different types of people, but hopefully she reads books and she has likes to listen and learn about things and whatever, you know, if she's able to go out in her community, go out in nature, be, you know, healthy and fit and learn about whatever she wants to learn about, as long as she's not influenced by the negative stuff. I think that's okay. Mm. So what do you tell men who have women that out earn them? You know, like, uh, can you still be a man in the household when your woman makes more money than you? Can you still be the uh, dominant role? Should, should she still submit to you? Yeah, I mean, if a woman, I don't know if we're talking about a significant amount of money, but in general, it's usually an issue of power and control, right? Like if a woman feels like, well, you know, I'm paying for everything, so you can't tell me what to do, right? Like yeah. Or like that, then yeah. there is an issue. That's that's definitely an issue. One, why why is he not able to pay for things? Um, was it a decision or is it a cert, like a necessity because he's not making money, right? Like if he's not able to make money and she is a, a provider, then he might just be a weak man, right? He might not be, he might be lazy. He might be insecure. Yeah. Yeah. He might be anxious. Uh -huh. He might be unskilled. So you better not be sitting around complacent and lazy on the couch drinking beer and watching her do all the work, right? You better be out there looking for work, picking, using your hands, like doing whatever, like throw your pride out the window for a good bit and go make some money, put things together, um, you know, and make it work. And even if it's not as much as her, at least it's something. Yeah. I think today it's much easier to separate the men from the boys because I'll say it. Homosexual men get preferred in the office over men. Women get preferred in the office over men. You'll find that homosexuals earn more than straight men, um, which makes it difficult for men to earn in the in the marketplace, especially when women and gays are taking their jobs. I said it, y'all damn it. I didn't know uh, that. <laughs> uh, so I feel like because of these, these hurdles, a man has to get more inventive. He has to become... So it's actually really separating the men from the boys is making men have to step up. Like, yeah, you got more competition now. So I feel like if women are dating a man who can't compete or can't earn period, it should say something about that man. Right. Yeah. It, 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 a man who can't earn, um, especially isn't trying to earn. Right. Like, like you said, some people just gave up. They sit on the couch just drinking a beer. How does a woman exit that relate that type of relationship? You know, it depends on the woman and what her temperament is. Um, you know, uh, I was in that situation and that's why a major reason why I left. So, you know, being unemployed for several years and not doing anything about it constructively doesn't bode well for a future. 
Uh, so it's either like if you're a ship and the captain isn't doing his job, you know, and the woman has to take over, when she gets to shore, she's going to think twice before she gets on that ship again with him. Yeah, hell yeah. I got a super chat here from Mary O'Donnell. Shout out to Mary. She's in a race for Maul of the Year this year. You are too, Taylor. You're in a race for Maul of the Year. <laughs> she says, well, I'm a Maul and I have I have to finish my married Maul stuff. See, just a good woman. While my husband's working. Look at this. The house sinks without this Maul. Night guys appreciate the convo. Look at that. Look at that. That's so great, man. That's so fucking great. I love Mary. She 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 she's very supportive. Um and she she's she's uh comfortable in her her gender roles. Um so you know I, you 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 consultant men, right? And you know, I just I don't know. I I feel like the men you got, they're going to need to hire you for at least 2 to 3 years. <laughs> You can't make a man overnight unless you uh, throw him in the boxing ring <laughs> and let him get hit upside the head a few times. You know, you got a lot of work to do because I don't think a real man man's coming to you. Have you ever had like a real masculine man hire you? Oh, yeah. OK. So tell me what, what are his problems like? Um, well, I mean, in, in a lot of cases, it's because they realize they made a mistake. They picked the wrong woman. They thought with their other head. <laughs> And they ended up marrying like a really, you know, sex, sexual, attractive woman. But 15, 20 years later, she's a nightmare. And he's like, all right, this, this, I've tried everything. And I, this is just going down. So I need to know how to get out of this and salvage my life, basically. So, you know, th that, that to me is, is quite common. A lot of men have experienced that. What, what what kind of problems is he dealing with in that type of marriage? You know, what type of woman is that? That's the controlling woman, the woman who doesn't listen, doesn't want to be of service, doesn't want to, you know, if she has sex, she has sex on her terms. Um, she doesn't want to meet his needs or she doesn't want to take care of the house. A lot of times it's the men doing everything. It's the men, you know, raising the children, cooking the food, making the money. The woman could be, even be at home doing everything. I mean, doing nothing. But, you know, what is the purpose of her in his life other than the children and being the mother of his child? It's like she's keeping his family values hostage. Like he doesn't want to be the one to divorce and break up the family, but there's no other option because she refuses to do anything to contribute to the family. Ah, uh, contribute like what? Like... Well, if she's home doing, you know, not working, then well, let's say she's working, right? Okay, she's you know. working, then she should at least be, you know, being a, a healthy mother, a role model, um, making sure that the husband is happy and and he's feeling satisfied. <laughs> you know, it, it should be a pleasant home. Number one, a woman should be the the a major part of the reason why the home is warm and pleasant and affectionate and the children are happy and well-adjusted. Oh, interesting. Interesting. But sometimes they've never had that example, so they don't know how to do that. Right. So what do you tell a man to do in that case where, you know, like if she doesn't have an example, she wouldn't know how, and she's not going to take constructive critics criticism. So how does a man, you know, bring a woman into, I guess, that gender role. 
properly, you know, so she can. Well, if you are married and you feel like you want to shift the dynamic in the marriage, you can do that. I mean, you have to, you have to do it, you can't do it abrasively. You have to do it gradually and you have to do it with her involvement at some point. So you, you can't have um, a resistant partner right? And expect that it's just going to work if you change. Sometimes it, it requires her to confront her belief system. It's almost like if you have two different religions, right? And, and it's just, there's conflict there. You can't, you, there's an impasse. You can't quite uh, find that compromise. So somebody has to convert or you find a middle ground and you both have to agree to the terms. And if she's able to come around, you're going to be leading her in that direction because she sees the the benefits of it. You have to get her buy-in somehow. What what's gonna what's life gonna be like for her? So, like you said, having that salesman experience is important. Yeah, yeah. I also feel like women are incapable of love. I feel like women are incapable of love. And men are actually the real lovers, whereas sometimes people would say it's the opposite. But I find that, you know, men fall in love, women fall in uh, ideas, <laughs> right? Like, oh, this is ideal for right now, right? This is ideal for my future, but they don't actually, they don't even love their kids, right? Like, when you go look at clips of, uh, or just look at the statistics, you know, uh, a single mother can't raise a good child like a single father can. Single fathers tend to raise more successful children and i feel it's because women just really don't know how to love like you know like i'll be around um i find women abusive to children too way more than men are you know verbally you know they, they lose their temper they don't have emotional control whereas men are more logical and sit down and speak to the child whereas women are just ready to you know lash out and yell and scream and all that shit well i do think like we said before that women can have that emotional roller coaster going on, right? Like they're not able to control their moods. Uh, they do lash out when they're unhealthy. And so the children will be getting the brunt of that when that is the case. So it's important for the man to be involved so that he's the stable element in the family. And hopefully she can improve on those qualities, which is usually what I would work on with a family, with a, a parent system when they're cooperative. But a lot of times, you know, she's going to be like, no, it's his fault because X, Y, Z, and da, 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 because she wants to dodge responsibility. So it's really important to have someone who's at least able to be cooperative and involved in making those improvements to herself. But like you said, men sometimes are, are you can say they're qualitatively better at being a single parent because they may, they, they may be more internal. You know, like they don't say as much, like when they're upset, they're more stoic. And so they can be present, but are they, are they doing constructive things when they're present is my question. Sometimes neglect has been um, evaluated as harsher than physical abuse to a child, right? So you yeah. want to make sure there is attachment, there is connectivity, there is intimacy, affection, all of those things. And so like, but uh, even an unhealthy mother will be affectionate to a child when she wants to, but then she'll reject them later on and yell at them and be abusive later. So mm. again, you'll see the, the positive and negative to both. So that's why ultimately we want a system with both parties because we both have strengths and weaknesses. 
Yeah. So women have lack of emotional control. How do you teach a woman emotional control? A man can't really, you know, tell her to, you know, have more emotional control because that's going to make her fly off the handle right there. You know, like you need to control your emotions. Shut the fuck up. You know what I mean? So how do you teach a woman emotional control? The same way I do for most people. Um, you know, you need to have those types of self uh, calming activities. And sometimes it's about, learning to let things go, learning how to accept things, learning how to breathe, getting back to your breath. Uh, you can, you know, women love yoga, but <clears throat> men are getting into it as well because it's about meditation. It's about breathing, but now it's like socially acceptable to, to <sighs> bless you. Thank I hope you. I'm not, uh, <laughs> you're not catching my bronchitis. <laughs> I'm allergic to women. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you, know, you can do it on your own. I, I have an app that I recommend to clients. Everyone talks about like these popular apps that you have to pay for. I, I don't even go like those. I have this one particular app called Take a Break. It's free. It's a little meditation app. And I've had clients, I recently posted about a client who was a daily porn user for decades, ever since he was a teenager and he's in his 30s now. And he's isolated. He's never been in a relation, a significant relationship. He's anxious and insecure. And after six, not even six months, we've only been working together for four and a half, five months after introducing him to some social activities that were scheduled. So he's like a very structured person. So because we scheduled these couple of classes in his calendar weekly, he's able to attend them on a regular basis. He's been practicing breathing and meditation and journaling on a daily basis. Um, he's now not experiencing anxiety anymore because he learned how to interrupt the anxiety and calm himself by practicing this breathing and meditation through this app. And he only had one relapse in the last month and that he hopes will then be, uh, prevented in totality going forward. So that's a real success story. And ultimately it goes back to these basics. So people underestimate the power of these types of mindfulness activities and so I really encourage people, just like with your health and fitness, sleep, the food you put in your body, the type, level of activity that you're you know, doing every day, those things are important. The, the amount of water you're drinking and, and what you're not consuming are all important factors, just like how are you connecting with your mind? How are you able to manage your own emotions and control your mentality so that you stay resilient it's so important to have flexibility and to be able to adjust and be agile so that when stress comes your way, you're able to sort of roll with it, get through it, stay focused on the solution versus get stuck in, in the problem and being affected by it. Mm. Yeah. So my philosophy is uh, be what you want other people to be. Right. So if I'm stoic in my emotions, then it rubs off on my partner. Right. Uh, or at least she'll know when she's acting like uh, a woman or a two-year-old, I should say. Um, you know, it it sometimes it seems like uh, a woman becomes emotional and then a man allows her to become emotional. So in that case, I just like, all right, so now it's just two bitches fighting, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody has to stay in control of their emotions while the woman is being emotional. And there's actually not much wrong with uh, a woman being emotional. Um, you know, that's, that's 
that's her power, right? I, I think that's where a lot of her power lies in, in the fact that she has these strong emotions, uh, which makes it easier for her to manifest desires on some spiritual level shit. But we're not going to talk about that right, there, right now. Um, <laughs> some Next, time. <laughs> Next time we'll talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, I feel like women are the way they are today because men stopped being men. I feel like if men had not become soyified and pussified, women would be better. We take too much. We allow too much. We let women get away with too much. Um, you know, like the other day they said, you know, women are manipulate manipulate men, right? And I'm like, well. At first, you enjoyed being manipulated, right? It turned you on at first until it didn't, right? Until the manipulation went out of your control. So you thought you had control over it until she started manipulating you out of your money or your time right? <laughs> or something else, right? So I feel like had we been more in control from the beginning, I think how you meet a woman determines the longevity of it, what you let it get away with from day one, day 10 is going to set the standard for what happens 10 years later. You know what I mean? And yeah. uh, if you're, if you're an easy man, you're going to get taken advantage of, you know what I mean? I think there's just too many easy men that just let women get away with too much. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely see that that happens, that women do get away with a lot. Uh, and again, they, they sort of, they use their, yeah, whether it's manipulation or their emotions and men just want to avoid <laughs> messy emotions sometimes. So they're able to just uh, let the men uh, console them in various ways and they don't have to console themselves. But to your first point, I absolutely agree. And I've said something very similar before about whatever you want from someone, you have to do more of yourself. So a lot of times I get that, that complaint that their partner is not uh, affectionate enough. I'm like, well, are you being affectionate to them? Are you going up to them and giving them kisses and hugs and grabbing their butt and swooping them off their feet or whatever? And half the time they're not, they're waiting for a signal <laughs> or they're waiting for them to approach. I'm like, well, you have to do that. And the, the same thing, this is the controversial one that I talk about, is trust. People have this weird, distorted, irrational assumption that you have to earn trust out of the blue sort of thing. I don't know. It's like if you don't give someone an opportunity to betray you, you're never going to trust them. You have, you, you have to give it in order to receive it. And that goes both ways. So you can't say that you trust someone because you proved that they were trustworthy. That's the whole point of trust. You can't prove it. It's about faith. Faith, you can't prove that God exists necessarily. You have to believe it. So the same thing is true with trust. Now, you know, you have to be willing to risk it to get the reward. As soon as you get burned, you pull out and move on. But, you know, you have to give a little bit in order to find out. Yeah, I feel like love is like bungee jumping with your partner holding on to the other end of the cord right one slip up your ass is dead it's really scary like you're really having to jump off of a bridge mm -hmm. and and really trust that person and i think that's what scares people the most uh that vulnerability 
Yeah. You know, um, and then once hurt, never want to be hurting again. Right. Like once you lost that trust with the previous person, the next person, you're kind of like a little bit tighter with it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. uh, you don't you, you're not as trusting, so on and so forth. But you can't even have a healthy relationship without that trust. Right. You have to you have to be able to process all of that hurt and betrayal and baggage from the previous relationships. And now it doesn't mean that you can't have them and move on. Like some people are like, oh, well, I don't want to date this person because they had this and that happened to them. Like, well, that's significant. Okay, you want to know. But the more important thing is what have they learned and what are they doing differently now because of that? Because if they haven't processed that baggage, you're going to be punished for it. <laughs> Undeniably, people bring it into the next relationship. So that's why, you know, we say or you hear, you know, wait a year before you're in another relationship after a significant breakup. To me, it's not the time that's as important as what did you do in between your relationships? If you just, you know, slept with a bunch of people or hid away in your house and didn't live life, then you probably haven't processed that experience and you haven't learned from it. Or if you talk to them and they're like, well, he did this or she did that. And they're always blaming the last person and not taking responsibility for what they contributed, at least, then that's probably going to play out in your relationship as well. Yeah. How do you feel about, uh, so, you know, I, I think that, um, labels ruin relationships and, uh, time ruins relationships so labels, you know, I think a lot of people rush to say, oh, this person is my girlfriend or boyfriend. And it seems like the second you say that, everything goes downhill because with labels come expectations, right? And now you're like, oh, what am I expected to do? Whereas before there were no expectations, it's just like you're dating somebody, whatever happens, happens. So I feel like once you put those labels on, things fall apart, right? The other thing I think is, I don't think people should make anything official for uh, at least dating consistently for less than ten, nine months, 10 months, a year. How do you feel about those situations? Uh, I don't have like a, a hard and fast rule that I suggest to people, but I, I talk about giving things time in order to develop. Um, every situation is different. And, and you know, I, me as an example, because I always I only use myself as an example because I'm not a hypocrite and I practice what I preach. But for me, you know, in my relationship, um, it seems like it was fast, but it, it was uh, at least a year, <laughs> almost a year uh, behind the scenes in development. Uh, and then we took our own risks in with each other by, you know, because we lived, lived in two different places, met online on Twitter and spent all that time getting to know each other and then met in person a couple of times. Things went well. And then he invited me on on his travels with him. Uh, so that was a big risk, right? And I, we didn't have any labels or anything. So I agree with you. People focus too much on labels. You need to look at more of the actions rather than the words that are, you know, used in order to describe who you are. Uh, and women get really stuck on labels. So I, I try to encourage them not to do that because it's really about that insecurity and that anxiety again. And they want that control. And then, you know, they lock onto the, oh, good. I know what we are. Okay, so now I can relax. No, you can never relax. <laughs> you always have to be on. You always have to be doing your best. Um, but you know, I think what, where it comes from is understandable. So I went through a similar thing um, in the in the beginning stages. Like I had no idea what was going on 
you know, on his side of things. And, and I was, you know, just thinking, well, what if he's sleeping with a bunch of women? What if, you know, he sleeps with me and I don't want to sleep, you know, cause I was celibate for a year and a half um, before, you know, him. And I didn't want to be having sex with someone who was having sex with other people. Now I still don't know what the heck he was doing. I've never asked him, but um, I had to risk it. I had to trust him. I had to believe in his character of the man that I was betting for a year. And so I looked at his actions and he would call me every day. We would video chat. He would involve me in things. And to me, it, it wasn't as important at that stage. Once like he progressed and escalated it to inviting me on the trip, then I'm living with him. So yeah, I expect him to be faithful. So, you know, and now I, I'm basically living in his family unit uh, with his parents and, and brother and all that sort of stuff. So expectations will inevitably happen as the relationship escalates. But to expect those things too soon is just a signal that you're insecure and you're not trusting the other person. So you need to deal with those more fundamental issues first and then let it just evolve naturally. Let it escalate organically to the point where you don't have to ask those questions because it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, if you gotta ask the questions, it's probably too soon, you know? Um, but yeah, I, just, I feel like I feel like uh, a job before you even get a job. What they say, ninety days, right? So I feel like ninety days should be the minimum that you vet somebody before you, you know, decide to take them seriously, you know. Um, but a year, and then it's that thing about living with them, etc. Because live being around somebody and then being around somebody twenty four seven are two completely different things. Mm-hmm. So what's that like for you? Like getting adjusted to living with them now. Well, for me, it's it's not that complicated because well, what, cool we, tra- we travel together. So when you travel together, you learn a lot about each other, and you're living together. You're just you know, it's not one home. Uh, we were moving from we were literally. I think we counted it was 15 Airbnbs that we stayed in over two and a half months. Wow. So that's a lot of stress, right? Not necessarily bad, but just a lot of adjustments. And if you can function well in a situation like that you know you can function well stationary. <laughs> this is nothing, right? So yeah, I mean, that was great. It was such a great experience on a lot of levels. But for me, I, 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 he's not been married before, but I've been married before. And I think for, I'm just gonna speak for the people who have been married before, something is very different about marriage. Whether, you know, we could say like a domestic partnership or whatever, you know, that's basically a marriage as well as included. But when you have that type of relationship with someone, even if it's not like mine was, I don't know, three, five years, something like that. And I know, but I'm not really thinking about it. Um, So when you have that type of relationship with someone, you change, it changes you and you have that new family. And if it doesn't work out for whatever reason, rightly or wrongly, um, it's a lot easier for you then to recreate that with someone else. That's why you see a lot of people in their second marriages being so successful because they learned exactly what they messed up the first time. So you're able to apply the wonderful things about the marriage because there were obviously good things about it because you married the person. Um, But then you're, you're able to edit out and revise away from all the negative stuff and correct it and learn how to be a better life partner. I love the B and B challenge, the bread and breakfast challenge, right? I feel like 
that should be implemented, right? Like before you make something official, you should be challenged to go to 10 different cities, 10 different bread and, bread and breakfast uh, with your significant other to see, decide if you are truly compatible. If you can make it through that gauntlet. Oh, yeah. I think that is a good test, right? Because you, you have to figure out how are we going to get from point A to B, <laughs> where we're going to stay, right? Yeah. We this can make this happen. What's that? We could make this into a reality show. I think uh, it could work. Yeah. You know, I always had that reality show idea of like, you know, what are some of these challenges you can throw at people to vet if they really should stay together? And I think that's a really good one. The bread and breakfast challenge is a really good one. Yeah. And, Nobody and also, that. being in a foreign country, worrying about transportation, language, weird food, visa expiries, like lots of things. <laughs> yeah. And, and how your significant other deals with stress. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a big thing. Oh, yeah. You know, we always deal with people in controlled environments. What about dealing with people in uncontrolled environments and how they deal with that? You learn so much because if, if, if you can't I mean, everyone deals with stress differently. So it's not always about having some kind of objective idea of how you're supposed to deal with stress. But as a team, how do you deal with stress and conflict? Because you're going to fight, you're going to argue, you're going to have differences of opinion and disagree. But how do you resolve that conflict? How do you then come back together? Uh, it shouldn't be something that escalates or creates this like weird un un discomfort where everything's going to be thrown out the window and you're afraid that they're out the door the next day, right? It should feel like, okay, we can take a little space and time, but then we're, we'll be back together. We're going to address this and we'll sort it out. So when you have that feeling like you can get through any problem together, um, it's just a matter of time and hopefully not too much time, but uh, then, then you know that you can make it work in the long haul and get through whatever stress throws is thrown your way. I feel like a good way to vet women is based upon the argument, right? So you guys are argue, have the inevitable argument. And it seems like, you can correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like mostly men take that initiative to make things right, right? Um, and I think that you can find a good woman because she'll change that. Like, she'll be like, you know what? We had an argument. Let's fix this, which is very rare. Right. Am I correct in that assumption that usually yeah. it, it, a lot of women, you know, they 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 have an argument and they blow it out of proportion and jump to conclusions. Yeah. And, and it seems like the men always have to be like the rational one and say, look, you know, let's sit down and talk about it, you know. I know you messed up, or I know messed up, or I'm wrong, or you're wrong, or you know all that stuff. It seems like men always got to be the bigger person because the woman just has too much pride to say I was wrong. <laughs> well, it shouldn't be about wrong or right at all. That's I think where a lot of couples go go wrong is that they're looking at who's wrong and who's right because that really doesn't matter. It's it's more I you know. I want to be with you. I love you. And I respect your opinion and none of that matters. And right. Like it's just, it doesn't, it has nothing to do with it. So when you focus on that, then you're going to have more and more arguments because there's a, a bigger systemic problem. Yeah. So in the Iroquois tribe, what happened was uh, the, the women were sort of like the Senate and the men were the house of representatives where the men handled more like the day-to-day -day operations, how things are going to be carried out. But women were, definitely so much the uh, architect and they kind of made the final approval. They even uh, vetted the men and said who was allowed to be a part of this council. I just feel like women have, have fallen so far because of the intrusion of Western culture. 
um, and remove themselves from that. So I just hope women can get back to that point where they can be, you know, that Senate type counsel. Um, but, you know, a lot of it has to do with the lack of emotional control. A lot of it has to do with the fact that there's no good men um, acting like men and being able to because some men can't take criticism either. <laughs> they take criticism like women, Yeah, <laughs> you know. And there are women out there that are pacifists, if you want to call it that. They're they're trying to get people to get along and they're able to find compromise and uh, just bring that sense of, um, yeah, just pleasantness, serenity or whatever into a room. Uh, but they've become fewer and, and further apart, right? Like it's hard to find them. So it's important for, for us to develop those skills and to value those characteristics. Um, you know, sometimes even when I'm teaching conflict resolution in teams, sometimes like I talk to to like companies about sexual harassment. We're talking about gender issues. That's relevant in that regards too. But sometimes you have to just learn to walk away. Um, and 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 people don't really do that anymore. You know, it's like. So let them do their thing. You know, if these people are okay with this level of conversation uh, and you're not, you don't have to get involved. You don't have to start something. You can just turn like turn around and walk out the room and mind your own business. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I just want to correct somebody in the chat real quick. They said that the Iroquois was cannibals. Actually, the first instance of cannibalism in America is amongst uh, European white men in uh virginia because uh, they didn't know how to feed themselves iroquois was not cannibals uh if they were cannibals uh that comes from the uh, intrusion of again western man uh removing them from their natural uh, habitat and environment and ability to create for themselves but uh i feel like western civ you know when i you know i like to study history and when i look at how Africa looked at women versus how Europe looked at women is two completely different things, right? Like Africa was very much matriarchal, whereas uh, European men like hated women, like they beat them, they <laughs> subjugated them, uh, they had no rights, da da da. da. Uh, are you familiar with some of that history? And do you think that has something to do with how America is now and how relationships is, are now? I'm not familiar with a lot of that, but it's very interesting. I'm sure it all influences the dynamics involved, but that's, you know, over so much time, it's hard to see the cause and effect of those things. But no, it's very interesting. Yeah. I mean, you know, you have uh, authors. I'll tell you a book right now, a great book that you should probably read is People's History of the United States. Um, and uh, who is this by? Uh, Zinn uh, is the author. Um but yeah, you know, he talks about when the white men, uh, you know, watched the Iroquois and some of them escaped from uh, the colonies to go live with the Iroquois Indians. And they were like, you know, wow, this is a society run uh, with women as the head um, at, at the head of the council, whereas they were used to where, you know, women had no say so, you know. And, um, you know, I feel like a lot of that has to do with uh uh, women's detachment from their soul essence, their spiritual purpose of being here, and some of that stuff carrying down into uh, American civilization. Uh, because, you know, the Black community as a whole, like, mama kind of run a house. <laughs> you know, mama's really important. 
you know, whereas, you know, with the European, you got the whole caveman thing where he smacks her over the head with a club and he's dragging her by the hair, right? That's really like a European thing. Um, so I think that's something, you know, uh, when you think about how how relationships are today, you should check out how European subjugated women, uh, you know, Tammany Hall, New York, where sex trafficking was, you know, at an all-time high. Yeah. Um, and the enslavement of women in Europe and like you know just saying they're allowed to beat them you know stuff like mm-hmm. that it was, it was terrible yeah <laughs> it reminds me of when i worked you know significantly in trauma that it really does impact things generationally so i i can see how that uh, would affect things but I, I hate to to interrupt but my battery is low i either have to plug in or we have to wrap yeah. up <laughs> uh, so good so uh black mile hotel five dollar super chat thank you bro he said african queen yeah Asantewa created a law forbidding females from sleeping with cowards who wouldn't fight for the kingdom. Yeah, yeah, you know, it was, it was very different. Taylor, thank you very much for the discussion. I learned a lot today. I'm going to have to go back and review some of the things you said to see, um, you know, where this stuff jives with my philosophy. But you didn't say nothing that I thought was crazy. I thought I was going to disagree with more, but you think it's level-headed, man. Tell the people where they can find you and how they can hire you. They can go on my website. It's ideallovelife.com. And you can ask for a free 15-minute discovery call if you like, or Twitter at Taylor Burroughs. Yeah, hell yeah. And who's the ideal client you're looking for? I work with men and women, but if you're you know, in a relationship that you, you feel is not really that good for you, you want to understand if it's something that you want to end, or if you're single, you, you know, need to learn how to date with purpose so that you can find a long-term relationship. Or if you're a woman and you're struggling with your femininity and you want to be able to sort of challenge yourself to be a more balanced, healthy woman, you can reach out and I can help you with that. And how much does that cost? About you, you charge hourly? Or is it how does that work? I work on a monthly subscription plan. So I do video calls, audio calls, or even a texting plan, which has been really popular. So it's like an unlimited monthly access to me via text. So you can text me daily. I even like edit uh, your text to the people that you're dating. Uh, we, we work pretty closely. So that's also something that we can do together. Oh, you ghost writing text messages? Well, yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, like there's there's some uh, good examples there, but um, you know, the proof is in the pudding. So I'm hoping to see some outcomes that I can share with you in the near future. I've done I've done a little bit of ghostwriting in my day, so I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's it's a whole new world when you you know try to correct um, some of that. You know, the the text game or whatever is really bad with some people. So you just have to show them that taking risks and being bold and, and being themselves is important and not worrying about, you know, p- pleasing people and trying to like be too nice. It's, it's, it's does the opposite effect, right? Yeah. Well, you know, when I was growing up, it was no text message. So now y'all added a whole new dynamic to, to this whole dating thing. Yeah. But it's fun too, right? It's entertaining when you, you get, when you have the right person that you're flirting with and you're focused on that communication, uh, it can be a tool, you know, it, does, it shouldn't be the only thing, but my advice to everyone out there, free advice, use the video chats, obviously in an appropriate way, but you get to learn a lot about people from a distance by a video chat before you meet them in person. So that's a, be- a good way to pace your dating relationships. Yeah. A lot of people are dating just through text. Yeah. Text- no. 
texting is stressful for me. You know what I mean? I hate, I'm antisocial. So like, I don't really want to be texting. Like, just call me up. We could talk, you know, like I'm just going to respond with one emoji and that's it, you know? Um, But that's a whole nother discussion we could talk about another time. You know, the difference between dating then and now. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed this. No doubt. No doubt. Everybody, y'all know what to do. Uh, Hit the description for all the products you can purchase and to connect with Taylor. And I'll see you on next stream. We got Dr. Shiva coming on this Friday, the inventor of email. Thank you, Taylor. I'll see you soon. All right. See ya.